You are now on Channel 3. Recording inside a gigantic monkey ball and wondering how we're going to breathe in here is the RF Generation Nation podcast end of the year blowout. I'm your host, Jess. You can find me at RFGeneration.com as Slacker. And this is Adam. You guys know me as BigMan2K. And we have our site's most vocal GameCube advocate as guest host. Hey, how's it going? I am Lisa Level 1, and you can just call me Chris. And together, we're going to give out a few awards, get to know Lisa Lover 1, and even throw up an extra top five. So first off, let's get to know Mr. Chris. What brought you to RF Gen? Well, um, my home forums have always been a site called Racket Boy, and uh, a bunch of other people there have blogs at RF Gen. I'm sure you've probably heard of Noiser Ducks, uh, DS Sign, DS. D.S. Um I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I think it's D.S. Hynum. Yeah, and Red McKnight. Um, they, all three of those guys and quite a few other people from Racketboy have blogs here. So I figured all the cool kids were doing it, might as well, too. I actually used to host my blog on Blogger, but... You know, Blogger is just a barren wasteland. There's zero visibility for that. So I thought I should go to a, an actual gaming-specified website. And, yeah, it's been working out pretty well. Man, if I could only go back and tell my high school self that I was part of peer pressure nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> so you're probably one of, if not the site's biggest, GameCube activist, what is your history with the little purple lunchbox, and why do you have such a preference for the GameCube? Um, well, I'd say that the GameCube was the first console for me, which I really became a true gamer. It was the first console that I really started looking at some of the smaller releases by and taking more chances with and smaller games, you know. Like, um, when I started, I guess when I just started branching out from just the standard releases that everyone and their dog got, <laughs> like, um, yeah, I just have a lot of fond memories with some of the GameCube's more <clears throat> obscure stuff. So it was after that that I really started paying attention to stuff like, mm, Atlas releases, well, Atlas didn't release a whole lot for the GameCube, but um, smaller, mostly Japanese game companies that I found that they're producing a lot more interesting stuff, and the GameCube, I feel, sort of led me to that, 
And so that's kind of why I have such a strong affinity for the system. It really showed me exactly what I wanted to see in gaming, I guess. Yeah, your articles, they really kind of go, like, outside the box, um, covering, like, imports and controllers and even output options and unreleased games. And uh, you even got a home, homebrew article on there. So um, are you part of, the like, a larger GameCube fan community, or has most of your passion just kind of been more personal? I wish there was a really big GameCube fan community, to be honest. Um, there really isn't a whole lot out there. There's um, some site. Some fan sites like uh, the Purple Cube, um, and I do believe DCMU still posts new GameCube homebrew news, but aside from that, there's really not much to speak of. Um, because in order for there to be a fan community, there really needs to be stuff still going on for the system in question, for it to still be alive, especially with a relatively smaller console like the GameCube. And unless some, I feel that unless something really, really big happens to the GameCube, like out of nowhere, some developer starts creating a bunch of aftermarket games like what happened with the Dreamcast and is still happening with the Dreamcast, um, or some really, really interesting homebrew comes along for it, I think... I'm sorry to say, but I think the GameCube community or what remains of it is going to remain dormant for a while. I wouldn't worry too much about the GameCube completely falling off the map because there's still Atari JAG communities out there and homebrew. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think the main problem is just that you don't see a whole lot being developed for the GameCube anymore. I mean, like you said, with the Jaguar community, I mean, all of Atari Age is still developing new software for those systems, and fortunately the GameCube doesn't really have a whole lot of that. There has been some really interesting, well, one really interesting homebrew project in particular that caught my eye over the last couple months. Um, someone has actually succeeded in building and selling a GameCube hard drive loader, and I almost managed to get my hands on one before it sold out, but uh, no such luck. So uh, I think I thought that was pretty interesting. I was kind of hoping that there would be at least a little bit of interest going on about that, but um, since it stopped production, that's really not much of a hope right now. But I really do hope that I can do what I can to mm, help mm, revitalize some interest in the GameCube, and I guess in any way I can. I guess that's one of the main reasons why I started my blog. I wanted. I always hear people talking down about the GameCube, saying that the PS2 and Xbox were always better. And, well, I guess in a lot of ways, it's kind of hard to deny that. But the GameCube, I never feel, gets its due. And I want to let people know that there's still a whole lot to see on the system that you can't get anywhere else. My wife was uh, nodding her agreement as you were saying these things. I think she's kind of a, a bit of a, a GameCube activist herself here. I I would be right there with you. I really I love my GameCube, and I had a uh, a blast ever since I had first got it. So big fan over here too. Um, yeah. Showing my age a little bit, but the Dreamcast is my favorite system. But the the GameCube's a close favorite. Close Actually. Second. 
Actually, um, if I re- if I was really really had to decide, I would say that just technically the Dreamcast just barely edges out as my favorite, but the GameCube had the most impact for me. So the GameCube is really the most important one for me. But now the Dreamcast, it's <laughs> now you just can't get anything like it. <laughs> so what else do you collect, or do you have any other? Interest besides making your artsy GameCube sculpture sculptures and stuff. <laughs> yes, artsy Dreamcast sculptures. <laughs> but um, seriously, um, as for video game collecting, to answer that one first, um, it's kind of weird. I sort of collect based on the season of the year because, like, when it's sort of based on how I have my game room set up. The only real room that still has a old CRT TV in my house is the sunroom, which obviously gets really, really cold in the winter and you can't really go in there, which is where I keep all my 8-bit and older systems, like my Atari systems, my NES, my Master System, all stuff like that. So when it start, the weather starts getting warmer, that's usually when I start collecting for my 8-bit systems. Hmm. Mm, it's kind of funny how that works, but during the winter, um, I usually stay all the way upstairs, which is where I keep my PlayStation and my GameCube. So... <laughs> During the winter months, uh, I usually spend most of my time up there, so I collect for the PlayStation and GameCube during the winter. And pretty much every other time, it's usually just um, random during the spring and autumn. (laughs) Kind of funny how that worked out. But uh, as for hobbies, um, I like writing. I've always enjoyed writing. Um, I like swimming. I... And I base, I'm not really a fan of sports, but swimming has always been pretty fun for me. That seasonal collection aspect is fascinating to me because it makes perfect sense. I can see that. We've, we've got a sunroom in our house, and if we – we don't have any game machines in there right now. It's actually the band room. But if we had a CRT in there, you know, for that, I mean, that makes perfect sense why you kind of focus on one versus the other. Uh, my collection habits oftentimes have just gravitated to what I had unpacked at the time <laughs> and what I could find. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds that makes familiar me. right now for me. Uh, <laughs> so, um, would you uh, would you consider yourself more of a collector than a gamer, or where do you think you fall in, in between those? Um, I never buy anything unless I intend to play it, and that's always a rule for me. I something I always consider before I make any purchase. Like, am I really going to get around to playing this, and will it be worth my while? So, um, for some, like, really, really rare stuff, something, like, is really, really rare, and I'm just going to buy it for profit, which is extremely uncommon, I always only buy stuff that I intend to play at some point. So, I still do have a pretty big collection, but I can say that I've played pretty much 90% of what I own, so a good deal anyway. So yeah, I would first and foremost call myself a gamer more than a collector. What would be in your out of your collection then what would be your favorite three games and or game related items? Oh boy. Top three, really? <laughs> <laughs> um I um how about I is it all right if I just narrow it down to my top five GameCube games? <laughs> 
think we can go with that. Yeah. Come on, I can make it real quick. <laughs> um, all right. Um, number one, Tales of Symphonia. Everyone who knows me knows that I will just not shut up about this game. It is so much fun. The graphics look amazing. Cell-shaded 3D. Um, the battle system is tons of fun. I cannot recommend it more if I tried. Um, number two, Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker. Mm, this is probably my favorite Zelda game of all time. I know, I know a lot of people disagree, but I just love being able to mm, get on the ship sailing through the Great Sea. It is That's the best part of the game for me. I spent hours and hours in that game just trying to complete the map. That was... That in and of itself was an engaging little side quest for me. And Okay, number three, uh, Paper Mario Thousand Year Door. GameCube really didn't have much in the way of RPGs, but Paper Mario is something special. You can't deny that. Uh, number four, Billy Hatcher and the Giant Egg. <laughs> um, my opinion, it was, well, if you look back, Sega really tried their hardest with After the Dreamcast mm, went away. The, Still wasn't quite the same, but some of the stuff they put out for the GameCube was really interesting. And I think Billy Hatcher was one of the best examples of that. It's a really fun platformer, and I've always been partial to the collect-a-thon subgenre of 3D games. You know, stuff <laughs> like Banjo-Kazooie, Mario 64, Jack and Daxter, you know. All that stuff. I guess it just appeals to the OCD side of me. <laughs> and I think I'm at number five now. Yeah, number five, Animal Crossing. I cannot possibly start to count the amount of hours I have put into Animal Crossing. Mm. I, I It got to the point where I just started going after each day ended. I start, went into the GameCube system settings and reset the internal clock for the system just so I could keep playing. My beloved is nodding knowingly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, anyone who's ever really gotten into Animal Crossing knows exactly what I'm talking about. It it was my World of Warcraft for a while. (laughs) I played that for so long. And they had some of the (laughs) they had some of the greatest commercials as well with the uh Oh yeah. I remember the ad. I remember the advertising for that game was just so great. Oh, they always marketed it as the game that's playing whenever you're not. Yeah. And that just blew my mind as a kid. I, uh, you say as I a got kid, kicked out of... I was well, 17 as a kid, the game. <laughs> as a kid, relatively speaking. Relatively yeah. speaking. Yeah. <laughs> I got kicked out of my own town that I created in the game because my... My wife somehow got upset that all I did in the game was decide to wander around, dig holes, and then hit people with shovels. <laughs> After a while, she wouldn't let me play in her town anymore. Wow. I, oh, I, was, wow. The, uh, I was the local vagrant of, of our little townville. Oh, did you let weeds grow everywhere and stuff? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, she got upset because I was never maintenancing anything. <laughs> Oh, She's boy. like, if you're going to dig all these holes, the least you can do is pull up the weeds. I'm like, that kind of defeats the point. <laughs> oh, wow. Sadly, things haven't really changed since we bought a real house, but that's a different story. <laughs> oh, I forgot to add one more thing. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Super Smash Brothers Melee is number six. So anyone who's freaking out right now, just just calm down. Oh, I also want to give one shout out to a really really cool piece of GameCube hardware. This neat little access on that little accessory. It's a neat accessory called the GameCube keyboard controller. It was made by ASCII in Japan. It was made exclusively for Fantasy Star Online, and the thing—it's it, exactly what you what you're expecting. It is like someone stretched out a wave bird to like four times its size and jammed the keyboard in between the each side of the controller. It, it's just a thing of beauty. You gotta look it up. I wanted one of those as soon as I saw it. <laughs> I wanted it for Animal Crossing. <laughs> I actually haven't tested it with Animal Crossing, but I, th- I think I've heard reports that it does work. I'm going to have to get back to you on that one. <laughs> so what's your uh, favorite cube import? Or is that cube import. controller it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd say that if I had to say hardware included, you had a keyboard controller. But uh, <laughs> if we're talking about software, then I'd say it's kind of a tie between... Star, the Star Soldier remake and Homeland. On one hand, Star Soldier is, well, anyone who's played the PC Engine or NES version knows that it is just really fast, really old school schmuck fun. And on the GameCube, it's a million times better. And the graphics and are very lush and vibrant. It's the controls are spot on, and I couldn't have asked for a better shmup if I tried. I would go so far as to say it even beats out Ikaruga just slightly. And Homeland, um, a lot of people haven't heard of this one, but it was an actually an MMO for the GameCube, which uh, Fantasy Star was really the only one, and that makes it one of the few online games for the GameCube. And for that alone, I think it really does deserve a mention. It's pretty interesting, and it's not really like your traditional MMO very much. So what, uh, sorry, do you have something? No. no. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, so what kind of a gamer are you? Are you kind of a social gamer, or do you uh, prefer to play by yourself, or, you know, hardcore gamer, casual gamer? What kind of a, what would you say? Um, I, I really enjoy the JRPG genre, so by default, that would probably make me more of a single-player kind of guy, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> uh, but don't get me wrong, I do love multiplayer games, and whenever my friends come over, we always try to and, and get in a round of Super Smash Bros. Melee, or something along those lines. Um, actually, speaking of multiplayer, I'm writing a piece on GameCube multiplayer right now, and depending on the time of editing, it should be out by the time this podcast airs. So, yeah, I think that's going to go pretty well. Oh, I'll have to check that out. So, Mr. Chris, Wii fan? Um, I like a lot of games on the Wii, let's just say that. Um, I'm not entirely sure whether where I stand to the as for the hardware. Um, I haven't. I've only really seen it used a couple times, in which I was really just blown away by the applications of the motion controls. 
but I still think Nintendo knew what they were doing with the system, and a lot of the Wii's best games don't even use motion controls. You have to remember that, and stuff like Donkey Kong Country Returns, New Super Mario Bros. Wii, well, they do use motion controls, but to an extremely limited capacity. I think the... I think the Wii is going to be in a really, really good position when we view it in retrospect, when it actually becomes a retro console, because it has a lot of unique games, a whole ton of exclusives, and Nintendo really gave it their all when developing software for the system. It tried their very best to differentiate it from the competition, and a lot, a lot of its games are not based on graphical gimmick or anything like that. They're just, they're more based on gameplay than anything else, and that really does stand the test of time. So now we've covered the Wii, what do you think about the Wii U? Huh, this is kind of a tough one. Um, something I've noticed about every single other console launch prior to this is that Everyone is always blown away by the hardware capabilities, the graphics, the sound, or whatever, of the new console that is being displayed. But now that we're starting to reach a graphical plateau, there's really only so much further that we can go without making games impossibly long to develop for. So, I the Wii U is only a marginal set, step up from what we've seen prior, and, well, that's kind of what happened with the original Wii. Um, I think the fact that we're starting to reach a graphical plateau means that we're going to see a lot less of that console wow factor that we've seen in every single other generation. And, it honestly, it makes it a whole lot harder to get genuinely excited about the console until you actually start seeing some software for it. I think once we start seeing some concrete games for the Wii U start coming out, stuff that really starts using that controller in unique ways, that's when we're going to start getting excited for the system. I have a feeling that the industry is going to be based a lot more on software than hardware in the coming years. I completely agree with you. I I think that I, I really agree with you as far as the graphical plateau. I think there's it's going to be a kind of a marginal increase, and it's going to be you know, it's going to almost be a diminishing returns each console generation. The controller blew me away at E3, and I think I probably mentioned that when we did our E3 podcast, but I think that if someone out there is listening from Nintendo, the one game you have to work on now is a new Pokemon Snap on the Wii U. Brilliant. That is exactly... That was the first thing I thought of when I saw that controller. <laughs> I was like, this would be perfect for Pokemon Snap! <laughs> you know, your your reference about that graphical plateau really reminds me every time I load up my 360 with the new dashboard. <laughs> and so, many, so much criticism, which I think is apt criticism, you know, to actually launch the game, it's a relatively small window in a corner, and everything else is... Uh, advertising? <laughs> yeah, it's advertising, but it's it's the social media integration that I think is, is uh, the, the big tell, because these game companies are looking into the next 10 years, and they're realizing we're hitting 
these steps where where like you know I think you're right on the money where you're saying you know you you could make a more graphically refined game and engine but you're talking more and more of a development cycle more artists more time you know that starts to fit out of that can we still make profit off of this budget and uh, so you're you're kind of reaching a limit more so with how much you can spend and now w- they're seeing that uh, consumer spending is going to probably slow down so now they're trying to make it to where you don't ever want to turn your machine off everything from tv to your facebook you're all doing on your xbox or your ps3 and so i think they're trying to uh go into that full integration box under the tv that does everything so that they can at least gain that foothold and they don't see that that decline and uh i think that's you know that's also relevant um like like me and my wife were, were talking about with the download versions of games versus the actual physical copies and it, it's there's going to be uh, as as broadband gets more and more ubiquitous there's going to be less and less incentive for people to run out and buy a physical copy and so they're just wanting something you can turn on under your TV and it's it's everything's there already all you got to do is a few clicks and and transfer the information for whatever. <laughs> There's a lot of rumors that the next Xbox is actually just going to be a very specialized Windows 8 PC, which kind of means that the Xbox brand has gone full circle. It started <laughs> out as a PC and will end up as a PC. <laughs> but I, I completely agree. And with the way things are headed, the two most driving factors will not only be the games that, that are on the hardware, but the feature the software features that the hardware's operating system supports and less and less about the hardware itself because, as was said, there's only so much you can do before it starts to become a hassle and just not worth it to develop for that long and for that much money. So with that in mind, what are there any other big changes you see in gaming in the next, you know, like, 10 years? Um, and I'm going to reference this one really nice video I saw by the Extra Credits team. Have you heard of them by any chance? Mm-hmm. They did one episode about the potential future of gaming, and as we were talking about earlier, the cloud services being able to... I think the one big change that's going to start coming is services like OnLive or other similar stuff will start (laughs) popping up and you'll be able to access most of your games on any platform you want because, well, as we're talking about again, hardware is going to become less and less of an issue and all the stuff will probably be done server-side and and you can access from, from any device that supports it. So you can just take your game library wherever you go. That's probably not good news for collectors like us, but um, you certainly can't deny the convenience of it. One of the big problems that we see when we start talking so much more about downloadable content versus hard copies, though, is those people that live out in the in the sticks, in the yep. in the tiny areas of the country that don't have broadband penetration. I mean, I can think of my my parents in Mississippi. They still have dial-up, and they don't. They, my dad got a webcam for Christmas, and he has no idea how he's going to use it. I mean, other than still pictures. <laughs> I mean, there's there's still those those parts of the country, those people that live in those areas that we're com- going to completely alienate if the gaming community moves forward 
uh, full speed ahead with this uh, move to the downloadable content. There's certainly a place for it, and most of us that have broadband and that use it regularly would certainly use it, but I think there always needs to maintain that option to have a physical console system to hook up to a TV, to have some kind of disk-based application or something like that um, that can have that, that can generate a physical copy without necessarily needing to have broadband internet. I'm just going to say right now that I don't think physical media will ever completely go away. There will always be a need for mass storage, but I just don't think it will become an absolute necessity anymore when... Well, as we're talking about, when game developers start relying more on gameplay than graphics, you're going to end up with games that are, in terms of file size, smaller and don't really need that whole big Blu-ray disc just to justify being shipped out. But the thing is that there will always be games that do need every last gigabyte of space on that disc, and that will always be the method by which they're distributed. So I think that the future of physical media is that it will always be an option, and for really, really big games, it will always be a necessity. But for but the smaller titles that would previously have been taking a risk by being produced and distributed because of all those manufacturing costs, we'll see a little bit more publicity and... And maybe probably make a little bit more money off of the digital download option. But like, let me reiterate one more time. I do not think that physical media is going anywhere anytime soon. Well, I, when Metal Gear Solid 6 finally gets released, <laughs> nobody's going to have the bandwidth to download it. So <laughs> That's exactly my the thing. I, I've done the calculations before, and if you want to download you know, a 7-8 gigabyte game, Assuming you get peak speeds, it's going to take you hours and hours and hours at a decent internet speed to get it. Whereas you can drive across town to get to the GameStop, put get the disc, even if you have to install some of the stuff on the PS3 or something, it's still faster than trying to download the entire thing. Not to mention that you have more and more providers that are looking at putting in bandwidth caps. So, mm-hmm. like uh, Comcast, 250 gigs, if you go over that a couple of times or something like that, they are going to cut off your service for an entire year. So you got to find somebody else. at and is, is doing the problem. same thing. And that that is a big problem. And so if they're, you know, uh, I really think it'll be a, you know, I, I think physical has to stay around for a long time. And for, the, for you know, for, I think it'd be a huge risk if the next Xbox went physical or went download only. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's still about two generations away at least before we start seeing a primarily digital console, and probably even then it'll still have things like <laughs> USB ports that will allow for games that do need physical storage to be stored on probably a USB drive or some such device. Here's hoping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as long as hey, we keep Angry still... Birds under two gigs, we'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> And games will still look nice on a shelf. <laughs> uh, so do you have any last-minute advice for people that are new to the GameCube? Yes, I do. One very important thing, if you want to start a GameCube collection of any sort, you have to act right now. 
GameStop is going to start, has already started pulling GameCube games from the shelves in a whole bunch of locations. They've started doing what they did with the PS2 games and throwing out the cases and manuals, which is a huge problem for collectors. So if you are any in any way interested in getting the GameCube, getting some GameCube games for a really for a lower price than they probably will be later, then I highly recommend just starting your collection right now because the prices are only going to go up from here. We've seen it happen with other consoles before. We've seen it happen exponentially with consoles like the PlayStation. And I do believe that a lot of the rare GameCube games, even if they're not particularly sought after, many of the rare GameCube games are going to start fetching some really high prices. Yeah, the oh, GameCube, also, out of those three markets, the GameCube has always been considered more collectible between PS2 and Xbox. They usually had fewer release numbers, and um, just their their uh, their ports of game, even their ports of games, have tended to, uh, to have a higher price point. Absolutely. Just look at the price difference between the PS2 and GameCube versions of Resident Evil 4. And while you're at it, look at the quality difference, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, and one more thing uh, for GameCube collectors. Um, two things I recommend getting for your GameCube hardware itself. One, get a broadband adapter. There's a ton of really neat stuff you can do with that. You mm. can load Homebrew through an Ethernet connection. You can use X-Link to play games that use a LAN connection online. Um, you can play Fantasy Star Online on private servers. There's just a whole lot of stuff you can do with the broadband adapter, and it is well worth the 15 or 20 bucks. And the second thing is the component cable, but really only the component cable if you're if either you don't have a Wii and can't afford the comp and can't buy a component cable for it, obviously. And or if you want to see some GameCube exclusive stuff like the Game Boy Player played in 480p, then I would recommend getting a GameCube component cable. It just makes everything look really great. And I, as a GameCube collector, I couldn't recommend it enough. Well, one last important question. Kim Pine. Great Avatar or the greatest Avatar? The greatest Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that Avatar. That was a yeah. I, that was pretty slick. So we're gonna move on to the RF Generations End of the Year Roundup. Here's where we toss out a couple of our own goofy awards, and um, <coughs> feel free, uh, guys, to to chime in with your thoughts or. Uh, just uh, any back and forth here. Uh, first up, we have the Shadow Squadron on 32X Award for excellent game nobody knows about. And for me, that goes to Nano Assault on the 3DS. Uh, it was a very under-the-radar release right here at the end of the year. It went from 30 bucks new to 20 bucks new within the span of, like, two weeks or something. Uh, it is a combination of, like, a... a twin stick shooter and a, like a behind the, the ship flying through 3d space on the 3ds it looks gorgeous it has some of the best graphics i've seen i was very on the system i was very 
impressed with it. It's really fun. Nobody knows anything about this game, and it's all been playing on my 3DS. So check it out. The best use of multi-touch on a non-multi-touch system award for me goes to dual pin sports on the 3DS. <laughs> <clears throat> the game comes with a pair of styluses, so uh, you know you are doing different sports. So using a pin in each hand to swing a bat, perfectly logical. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense to me. But then I was never good at sports, so I can see why that makes sense to me. You know, it it seems goofy. Uh, my wife got it for me for Christmas. I uh, was toying with it, and it really is an interesting way to play the game. It's definitely a timing-based game rather than a... Uh, you know, there's some skill to it, but it's a lot of timing more than anything. But it's it's a it's a fun little deal. I thought it was going to be more of a two player thing, but no, you're you're playing against the against the computer with two pins in your hand. And you're just drawing on the screen. I'm I'm kind of curious now. I'm uh, there's been so many awesome 3DS games that's come out this year, um, and and it's it's kind of interesting because hardly anybody um, brags about the 3DS software library right now. But there's been a lot of stuff I've been very thrilled with. That's it's there's several of several 3DS awards in my in my respective categories here. <laughs> um, up next we have the help I've got some gorgeous animated art in my game Okami award goes to insanely <laughs> twisted shadow planet I never get tired of saying that it is a gorgeous looking game and it's fun it's got a very interesting multiplayer mode just this quick little thing that we ended up playing for hours but the single player it's relatively short but it's it's fairly inexpensive as a download title and we mentioned it on the cast before it has that uh, 2d gameplay exploration and a little hovering uh, ufo kind of contraption and with uh just originality all throughout i was i was very very happy with it can't recommend it highly enough the art alone just it was fun to stare at and watch well, I'm looking up the game, some screenshots of the game right now, and I gotta say, wow, I, I am impressed. Oh, you you should see it in in animation. That's the whole trick is everything in that game is pulsing, or or moving or animated. Just the, the entire game is just gorgeous to watch in action. It's the the gameplay is uh, more akin to the Met, the the Metroidvania style where you know you explore. Uh, it's got a little bit of an action puzzle element to it. Um, you find different items that allow you to explore uh, new areas. It's got a little bit to go back and find after you finished it. It's pretty easy to 100%. Uh, and like I said, the multiplayer mode they they added to it seems really simple until you get four people all playing it at the same time, and it's it's a blast. Up next, we have the best multi-platform, not controller, but kind of a controller accessory award, and that goes to Dream Gear for their tri-mount. Uh, you don't realize just how much space you need for cameras and sensor bars and other things and how much room they take up until they're all vertically situated right on top of your TV. <laughs> now I just need to get a little bit of tape for my Wii Speak. <laughs> I have on uh, a little shelf, I have the uh, the adapter, the, the like the receiver and such for uh, Super Scope 6. For the Menacer, for the Connect, for the Wii, for the Goofy thing, for the Cabela's gun, which needs even more range than than the Connect. I found out uh, there's just like a stack of these Goofy things. I mean, if I 
I'm pretty sure if I had some way to wire them all into one device, it would become self-aware. I kind of <laughs> separate them by a few inches a piece just out of out – of, Bill, my, uh, my beloved freaked out when she came in and saw on a little screen within a screen on her TV that our Xbox was watching us. <laughs> that flipped her out, especially when I was just casually talking about Xbox and being this, and I look over, and it's listening to me, and it's trying to do what I'm commanding it to. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, kind of scary concerning some of the things I've told my Xbox to do in the past when I knew it wasn't listening. <laughs> so I know what you're talking about, these little peripherals. That I've, never, I've, I've seen that Dream Gear trimount, but I've never actually bought one. Maybe I should. It yeah. keeps adequate space between these things. <laughs> it's pretty slick. I mean, they're all pretty, you know, it, it, it's not like they're all spread out either. It's nice and a compact little package. It's pretty sweet. I will have to check that out. I might have to buy a few of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, next up we have the... They actually do still make them like Chrono Trigger Award, and that goes to Radiant Historia on the DS. Excellent traditional role-playing game. Beautiful soundtrack. Well-done story. If you like classic RPGs, don't let this one slide under your radar. Uh, pick it up. It's an excellent role-playing game on the DS. It's also actually become pretty rare from what I've seen in just a short period of time. I think Amazon sold out of it just recently, and pretty much everywhere else it sold out too. So I guess if you are interested in it, then better try and find a copy pretty quick. (coughs) Definitely. Well, now we've got the This Really Needed a Mobile Release Award, and uh, it goes to Grand Theft Auto 3. Uh, it just came out on the Android market. I don't know if it hit iPod or iPad yet, but uh, people complained when Grand Theft Auto was on the PSP and it didn't have a second analog stick, and now they're <laughs> supposed to play it on a pure-touch device that's 10 inches big <laughs> with nothing to move around. Uh, I, you know, I'm not a huge fan of playing X-Men on the little touchscreen. <laughs> How am I supposed to play Grand Theft Auto 3? Actually, I tried it out. Um, I downloaded it from my phone, and yeah, yeah, it's pretty awkward. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's not as bad as you think. The driving sections are significantly better than I had feared, and mm, <laughs> and yeah, interestingly enough, the on-foot like, targeting hasn't really changed. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the tar- it's the targeting that is that just ugh, it's just a mess. Yeah, <laughs> still play it on the PS2 if you can. <laughs> Up next, we have the I don't know if I can answer these questions honestly in front of my significant other award, and that goes to Catherine on the 360 and PS3. Catherine was one of the games that we mentioned earlier in the cast. Me and my beloved sat down and went through it and thoroughly enjoyed it. Did you have any other things to say there? Well, it sounds like you've already talked about the game, so we don't really need to talk about the game again. No, go ahead. Okay. (laughs) It's a very interesting mix of genres. Uh, There's elements of role-playing, and then there's elements of action, and elements of puzzle puzzle mechanics, some of which can get quite fierce and quite maddening at times. Um, It's... It's the uh, same group of people that put out Persona and the Persona games, the Shin Megami Tensei, and uh, they have some very 
very interesting for perspectives on humankind and human culture. And um, they were very good about um, putting different perspectives into this game. And um, it actually had eight or nine, eight different endings, uh, depending on the uh, responses to the different questions that were posed to the players in the game. And so that was um, very interesting, too, to see which ones um, would, which responses would lead to which ending. Um, sometimes it was, uh, it seemed to make a lot of sense, and other times it was relatively frustrating. Um, but it was, all in all, a very rewarding, very fun experience, and I would definitely uh, repeat it again. But let's, needless to say, you have to have a very strong marriage, and you have to, <laughs> you, you have to be unspeakably honest if you play as uh, with a significant other in the room. <laughs> in, infidelity, the interactive adventure for playing by couples. Um, you mind if I just say one thing? Um, yeah, yeah. Sure, go ahead. Okay. Um, I, I was really happy about the success that Catherine got in, in its sales. I think Atlas said it was the their best-selling launch ever for any game. And I'm, I am just ecstatic that hmm, people are starting to take interest in the game that's so different when hmm, usually the best sellers are always hmm, you know exactly the same thing that gets released every year Call of Duty, Madden, you know standard stuff. I'm glad that even though it relatively wasn't that big of a figure for the sales numbers that it really did get some attention and that people are really starting to pay attention to Atlas. I think Atlas is a great company, and, and I love it when they put out really unique stuff like this. Yeah, I agree. I'm really glad that it, it got so much support, because the game itself is so uh, so different for the, the subject matter that it tackles, and, and uh, even the gameplay itself, while it, it definitely kind of cobbled together a few other previous ideas, it, it still had a lot of unique ideas, still was was very fresh to us and uh, kept on it kept it fresh throughout the entire game. Like you'd think that, okay, you know, we've pretty much established how the game's gonna oh no, now the next chapter, something new, crumb. It um you know, it kept us pretty into it through the through the entire game. So yeah, I, I was very impressed with how refined it was for being so different. You know, a lot of times when they try something so out there, it's like you can tell it was more of a experiment than something that was as successful this one really seemed to hit a lot of uh, you know excellent right off the bat so agreed all right well now we have the my wife really isn't expecting me to use this christmas gift in public award and Uh (laughs) it goes to the tiger r zone Uh, my wife uh, got me one for christmas and if you haven't ever played one it's like playing a Tiger Electronics game with a single Virtual Boy lens mounted on a Konami laser scope. Oh, and there's no volume control. <laughs> so, that, so I mean, you can, loud? you can turn it on and off, but it's just <laughs> blaring loud in your ear. <laughs> and I, it's, 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 I always wanted one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I am... You know, for those that know me, I am a pretty, you know, I get geeked out over that kind of stuff. Oh, and yeah. I, I couldn't be, and I, I knew that 
because it was kind of all wrapped up uh, in a you know shrink wrap from where she bought it from, and I saw that it had one game with it, and when I opened it up, <clears throat> there was a game already in the system because it, when you put it in, it kind of mounts flush. And then mm-hmm. there was there's a there in the controller there was a, lo, a small slot to store a game in so you can have two games with you without having to get anything else out, <laughs> and <laughs> you, but yeah you store one in the controller and you store one in the headset, and so I ended up with Batman Forever, Virtual Fighter and uh, Panzer Dragoon. See, <clears throat> I have to get one of these because there's a Panzer Dragoon uh, game on it, and I know it's going to be terrible. I know it's going to be horrible, but I I need to get this because it has a Panzer Dragoon Saga game on it, or Panzer Dragoon game. Um, so how is the gameplay? <laughs> it's 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 I'm serious. It is exactly like play, you're you're holding like it's kind of like an SNES controller uh, with the four way D pad and then uh, four buttons on the side. I don't remember if they're shoulder triggers because I I doubt there are. But and then in the middle there's just just this array of buttons for turning the system on and off and the volume on and off and uh, different options like that. But Virtual Fighter, it's it, just imagine Virtual Fighter on a Tiger Electronics game, but then you see it just in your one eye. <laughs> and when and the other thing that surprised me was that I was kind of messing with it, and then I had it on, and then you know, I was using the on and off buttons to do it, but then I just put a game in, which is weird because it feels like you're going to slap your head when you put the game in. <laughs> so it's like you're putting the thing in, and then when you put it down, you're like pushing in, like you're gonna, like you know, just that motion, like if you slap yourself on the side of the head. That's kind of the motion to put the game in. I think they're unsettling trying to tell you something when you do this. Well, <laughs> so you put the game in, and it turns the system on. Huh? What? So yeah, you, you you don't have to turn the system on with the button. When you put a game in, it turns on if it's off. <laughs> Out of desperation, oh, wow. please play I me. Guess. Please, we're just, ready. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> but yeah, it was, you know, it's, uh, it was actually, it wasn't really as bad. If you go into it thinking you're going to get a super in-depth kind of a experience, you're, you're going to be severely disappointed. But if you're just kind of, uh, wanting a little something to toy around with, I think you'll enjoy it for what it is. I think, I, I mean, really that's how you have to experience some of this stuff is that you just have to take it for what it is. And see what you can get out of it. If you look at it as a Tiger Electronics game that just is being presented differently, that's exactly what you'll get. Well, speaking from the guy who played <laughs> through the Zelda watch when I was in school oh, yeah. like three or four times over oh, yeah. and over in a row, uh, I've just got <clears throat> a little special place in my heart for the old LCD Tiger games. Hmm. One day. <laughs> that's a great gift. That's awesome. Up next, we have a what game designers brought to the meeting after caffeine-induced sleep deprivation, or the Katamari Damacy Award for short, goes to Hyperdimension Neptunia. We've passed this one back and forth on the blogs here at uh, rfgeneration.com, and whether or not you're turned off by the actual gameplay, you got to admit, it's just quirky enough to sell to, to nerds like us. <laughs> Uh, I know that Noise is a huge fan of it, and he wrote the, the <clears throat> one, po- one blog post about it, and, and judging by the post he makes on the Racket Boy forums, it sounds like one of his favorite games. I played a little bit of it, because, but now that I'm in college, I don't really want to play it in my dorm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 
you know, it, I went, I waffled on it a bit because when I first played it, I was really into it, and then I kind of lost. I don't know, just the gameplay kind of started to annoy me after a while, and then I kind of got back into it. It's one that I've I've kind of waffled back and forth on. I really appreciate what it is, and it's it held my attention. I've had a great time with it, and I'm glad I own it. But I can easily see why it turns off a lot of people because it it really does um, kind of carve out some of the things people like in their in their JRPGs. And the experience itself does get pretty monotonous. It, it's it's but it's just so quirky, you know. It's just so out there that, mm. <laughs> not to mention it, it's a niche RPG on a PS3. It's it's probably going to eventually go up, you know, in terms of value. Of, of, and they've got a sequel already announced, so I thought it deserved some mention again. I think it's amazing that it got localized at all. Yeah, that's true. And it must have taken a while to do so, especially since, you know, it's got that bizarro humor and that the cultural references and jokes and stuff like that. It makes you wonder, you know, what what kind of things are in the Japanese version if this much got translated over to the to us. All right, up next we have the Sometimes Kansas Does Do Some Things That Are Cool award. And it goes <laughs> to the State Lottery for their Atari Scratchers games. Uh they are uh, I know that they have Asteroid and Centipede, and they are just, you know, you're running the most scratch tickets, but they're just, you know, I, I kind of geeked out when I saw them. I was like, I want to buy a couple of these so that I have them. Um, they're not quite as fun as their arcade counterparts, and they cost a lot more per play, <laughs> but they're certainly an interesting way to try your luck. <laughs> oh, man. See, you need, you need to get one of these hardcore collectors that just buys a whole bunch of them and never actually uses them. <laughs> never know if you actually won you just have them on a shelf somewhere yeah <laughs> yes, it kind of takes that whole sealed game argument to a whole new level Jeez. <laughs> I'm sure someone on Atari age has like a whole sealed collection of I, should, I should send them <laughs> in for VGA grading there you go <laughs> alrighty well we have the it's not Call of Duty or Battlefield, so everyone hated it. Rise of the Triad Award. Yes. And uh, <laughs> that goes. To, I knew somebody. I knew you of all people would have recognized Riot, as we used to call it, or um, no, Rot. Right. Rot. Oh yeah, Rot. Yeah. That's what I had to actually look at it to remember Rot. That's what I want. This award goes to Homefront, and I loved this multiplayer. I have since replaced it with Battlefield 3, but at the time, it had this large-scale epic battle going on. I liked the progression system. It was what I wanted to play when everybody else wanted to play Call of Duty on my friends list. <laughs> it's I haven't even been on the server since Battlefield 3. I don't even know if it's still really, the multiplayer is active enough to, to even support anymore. But the game's gone down in price, and uh, if you want something a little different for your multiplayer, make sure you buy it new. It's got that stupid online pass junk. Otherwise, we'd have gotten a lot more land play out of it. But... Hey! Um, I uh, I I do highly. (laughs) (laughs) Avoiding that obvious tangent, uh, (laughs) if you're into something new for multiplayer, if you've gotten sick of Call of Duty and Battlefield, try out Homefront. I really enjoyed it. And now we have the greatest way for me to beat games I should have 20 years ago award, and that goes to the 3DS Ambassador Program. (laughs) I have now knocked. (laughs) I've now been able to finally knock off Super Mario Brothers and Metroid with it, and I'm working on the two Zelda games. Nice. And uh, not to mention, of course, the great Game Boy Advance games that just came out as well. Yeah, we <coughs> were really happy with uh, with the ones they chose, and 
some of those are in theory going to remain exclusive and I'd say most all of them were were fairly awesome games. I mean, there, there's a couple of eh, about you know that I wasn't as interested, but they were all big releases, I believe. And so it was it was pretty the, impressive. The GBA ones. Yeah. Well, the even GBA, the Nintendo ones. Several, well, the GBA ones I know I I remember the GBA ones are supposed to be exclusive only to the Ambassador program. Well, that's kind of odd because there are pretty big games too. Yeah. The GBA ones. I mean. I mean, if you look at a lot of the pricing, they're, you know, the, I think the the Legend of Zelda, like I said, the Legend of Zelda is out in Japan, the NES one, and it's uh, 500 yen. So, I mean, what is that, you know, roughly five, six dollars over the course of 10 games. That's a chunk of change, not to mention that you get 10 Game Boy Advance games, which are probably going to be at least that much uh, when they, you know, when they're coming out. So that's. A very nice program. Now that we're seeing some pricing for the NES games coming out. Other than the fact that yeah, it really is nice that Nintendo's doing something for the people who are there on launch for their 3DS. And I, I bought mine on launch, and for the longest time, pretty much all I had to play was Super Street Fighter 4 and Blaze Blue. But those were pretty fun, and I'm glad that most of the main most of the big titles for the system are really starting to come out now. Mm-hmm. So now we have some real substantial stuff to go on. I actually picked up Blaze Blue based off of your uh, your write-up after your recommendation. I was, I was pretty happy to do so. Uh, yeah, I think it's... I actually prefer Blaze Blue to um, the Street Fighter 4 3D. And just, and I always like games with a lot of story, so that's just right up my alley. Now we have the It's Not Gran Turismo or Burnout, So I Don't Care Split Second Racing Blur Award goes to Dirt 3. I love that game. I'm a fan of the entire series, and they're all three very distinct. Uh, it's not like some racing games where after you get the next one, the other ones are kind of you know, obsolete. Every, every one of the Dirt games have been uh, very distinct and, and separate from like the types of racing and, and the feel and the... Uh, the dynamics of the game. Uh, a lot of people say that part two was the height of the series, and um, I loved two, but this one just, if you are at all a fan of off-road racing, it's a blast to play. It's its so much fun. It really renews my vigor for standard racing games, because after playing so much of, like, Gran Turismo and Forza, I'd gotten to where, you know, I just got bored to tears playing, you know, more stylized, more realistic racing games and this one uh has that balance of arcadey with uh realism and it's it's just a blast to play and the multiplayer has a mode where basically you're you're playing uh like kind of variants of tag you're it with a bunch of cars on a, <laughs> on a like the equivalent of a big skate park <laughs> and it's it, it's a lot of fun so yeah i just wanted to give a a kudos to that it's it's dropped in price already this year too as have most major <laughs> releases so it can be had for fairly inex- for fairly cheap. Definitely check that out. All right, next we have the possibly last great Nintendo uh, release for this generation, Twilight Princess Award, and that's going to go to how fitting Skyward Sword. Uh, with the Wii U blooming <laughs> for next year, there really aren't a lot of huge titles from Nintendo on the horizon. Um, you know, nothing at least that I've seen so far that's a big kind of epic story like like Skyward Sword is uh, but 
<clears throat> really, what a way to go out. I mean, it's been a, in the amount that I've played of it, it's been a fantastic game. The The sword play is just excellent. Well, there is one more um, big Wii game coming out soon. Uh, Xenoblade, or Xenoblade, or however you want to pronounce it. Right. I think that's coming out. It's uh yeah that's coming out in April last I saw but I mean mm-hmm. uh, aside from really those those two it's you know like I said, like I said one of the few last ones but yeah the the Xenoblade is looks like it's gonna be just kind of ridiculous too <laughs> and only reservable at GameStop in North America so far how weird is that jeez <laughs> oh no. you, you don't <laughs> typically think of GameStop as being the saving grace of anything video games and yet. Here they are picking up the picking up the release. So, wonder if you'll only be able to buy it as disc only. <laughs> Ouch! Oh man! <laughs> you'll have to reserve the uh, the case and the instructions separate. <laughs> no, they'll be pre-ordered. That's in the collector's bonuses. edition. <laughs> the collector's edition comes with cover art. <laughs> well. We have the, I drank too much NyQuil, and now I can't tell if I'm awake or asleep. Tempest 2000 Award goes to Child of Eden. I can't speak for the PS3 release, but I know the Xbox uh, with Kinect version was the first Kinect game I played where I'm like, okay, this is cool. I can't do this with a controller. Uh, it, it If you've played Res, then you know pretty much what you're getting with even brighter better graphics the the feel of the game where you're moving your hands around for the targeting reticles and and blasting things and just kind of like you, you really do feel like you're conducting a symphony when the game gets really going and energetic and everything's set to the music uh if you have the connect and you can set it up right this this is a really powerful gaming experience i very much enjoyed it it's short so not much to it most people will probably be disappointed if they spent like 40 50 bucks on the game itself uh, I wouldn't because I love this kind of experience, but it's it's trippy as I'll get out. <laughs> so I highly recommend I highly recommend Child of Eden. I read the PS3 version with the move support is kind of real laggy and not as much fun, but I can't attest to that personally because I don't have that version. So I liked the Connect one. Yeah, I was a huge fan of Res, so I jumped on this game right away, and it really is a lot of fun to play. Very cool. All right, up next we have the Best Combination of New Things on the 360 that People Like Better Than Dashboard Updates Award, and that goes to Project <laughs> Gotham Racing 4 and its peripheral support. Um, I don't own it, but I tried out uh, the PGR4 with the, the wireless wheel, and that was actually a lot more responsive, a lot better than... Um, I was really expecting it to be. I was kind of, you know, I didn't really know what to think with it, but the little triggers behind for doing your throttle and braking and everything worked great. Um, and then the fact that it has connect support where it will watch your head and uh, track your head to, so if you turn your head, it will change your screen to where you're looking out that side uh, window. So you can see who you're trying to pass, and if you're clear to actually get around them and pass them. I that thought, sounded really cool. Wow. I thought that sounded like one of the most innovative ways of using the Connect 
that I've seen. I mean, using it as a controller is has been entertaining, but to use it as a you know not a primary means of controlling the game as more of a uh, more of a tertiary means of of uh, accessing different things in the game was just a super cool way that I've seen out of uh, you know using the device. I've I haven't had a chance to try it out, but I would like to. It looks it looks really slick. All right, we have the Let's Make a Sonic game that includes everything Sonic, so everyone will hate it. Sonic Generations Award goes to Sonic Generations. <laughs> I I loved it. I thought it was an awesome game. I remember playing it, and it was a beautiful compilation of all things Sonic from the very beginning all the way to the crummy later releases, which, yeah, did still play kind of crummy, but... Just the combination effort that they had of, of all of these different games. Uh, a lot of the gameplay was actually a lot more fun than I gave it credit for, kind of going back and revisiting it. And the fact that they took out levels from all these different Sonic games uh, from the, the earliest all the way up and, and had the different perspectives of kind of like the, the 2D run-and-jump style to the more Sonic Adventure um, without as much of the, you know, having to run and talk to guy A to get item B kind of thing, more of a just a straight-up action adventure game uh i i really liked it i uh was very impressed with it i was saddened to see just how it got slammed and slammed in in several reviews that i read about it because i thought it was a i thought it was an awesome game i thought it was really well done well people have just gotten so used to trashing sonic games that they feel they don't even have to play it anymore but i did play it and i really really did enjoy it it's everything i wanted a sonic game to be And kind of as a follow-up to that, the uh, the excellent game no one remembers because everyone is complaining about Sonic Generations award goes to Rayman Origins. We hardly ever get this many excellent side-scrollers out in a year, and this year's been excellent. And Rayman Origins is just like the, the cherry on top. It is a beautiful, artistic, fun uh experience <laughs> you can play it one player you can play it up to four players not quite as chaotic four players as uh, new super mario brothers <laughs> uh thankfully <laughs> hmm. other otherwise i'd i'd start losing family members uh it's a it's a great game it's and uh it's gotten a little bit of hype but i think it's gotten uh, bulldozed over a bit by higher profile titles like sonic generations <laughs> so if you get a chance, it's been on, again, it's been discounted heavily because of the crazy holiday season. Rayman Origins is a, is a gorgeous game. I only had even heard that, well, I guess, you know, I'd probably seen something about it, but I really noticed that it was coming out only because they happened to be offering uh, Beyond Good and Evil uh, HD as a pre-order bonus. And... <laughs> That there made that is exactly what made me pre-order and get Rayman Origins was the pre-order bonus of Beyond Good and Evil HD, um, <laughs> but I am I will probably have to crack that open and play it with my wife because she could not stand playing New Super Mario Brothers Wii with me. <laughs> she hated. It. She beat the game without me. <laughs> so um, I will definitely have to play that one. Oh yeah, I highly recommend it if you're a fan of 2D 
uh, side-scrolling. Well, our last big one before we move on to some uh, community awards is the Phantom Lifetime Achievement Award, and that goes to Duke Nukem Forever. The game that basically invented the word vaporware. It took 14 years of development for it to come out. The game plays like a 1990s first-person shooter, and a lot of people said that that was a bad thing. (laughs) Whether it was purely nostalgia driving my love for it, or the fact that I was actually enjoying myself, or the fact that I was so waiting for that game to come out for forever, uh, (laughs) I now have some hope if if Gearbox decides to continue the franchise. <laughs> yeah, I guess people just aren't used to that style of game anymore. You really don't see anything like that on the market oh, these no. days. Everything has to be military, you know, fighting other guys, and you just can't have that kind of a, you know blown up aliens kind of a fun experience where you know everything's got to be super serious now and it, it, <laughs> everything it, must be gray everything or brown uh, everything <laughs> everything we've we've gone back to quake quake and quake 2 where everything is just brown and beige and another shade of brown and <laughs> well battlefield 3 does have some blue <laughs> <laughs> there's always a lot of red <laughs> this is exactly what I was referencing with uh, with Sonic Generations, though. Sonic Generations really capitalizes what a lot of people were asking for in a Sonic game. They're saying, "Give us an old Sonic game with some modernization. You know, why don't we why don't we just show Sonic? You know, like going through from where he was, you know, the earlier games on up to the newer games. I mean, it really did seem to answer like a huge wish list for Sonic fans, no matter what generation of Sonic you came from." And so they make it, and everyone's like, oh, this is crap. <laughs> yeah. And same thing with Duke Nukem. It's like, well, what did you expect? I mean, this is exactly what... If you're a Duke Nukem fan, what else were you wanting? This is what... Yeah. <laughs> this is what... Uh, so, yeah. No pleasing the modern gamer. <laughs> All right, now we've actually got some community-suggested awards, so thanks a lot to everybody at RF Generation who uh, submitted their calls and their other entries for what they'd like to see for their awards. Up first is Duke Togo. Hey, follow uh, RF Jenners. This is uh, Duke Togo. Uh, I wanted to suggest an award for the best Xbox Live indie game of the year, and uh, my recommendation would be Orbitron Revolution. It's kind of uh, uh, like a modern take on Defender it's, a, it's like a wraparound, comes back, and uh, shoots waves at you. It's only like three bucks, 240 points, and uh, I think everybody should check it out. But be curious to hear what you guys think, too. Uh, thanks, and uh, keep up the good work. So I'm not, I really haven't played much on the Xbox Live indie market at all. Um, do you guys have any favorites that you've played? I have to embarrassingly admit that I have not tried this, but now I will. I will now look into this. I, I really overlook the the indie indie game channel, um, much to uh, my shame. I really enjoyed Vorpal from last year, but I have not. Uh, I'll have to try this one. So I will take your suggestion and nominate that one for indie game of the year. 
Yeah, the only stuff from the indie market that I've played is mm, like the really high profile stuff mm, like um, Breath of Death 7, which got ported to Steam. I do have to get Cthulhu Saves the World. I, I do still need to grab that. <laughs> All right, our uh, second call is uh, actually from Noise Redux. Hello, IRS Nation. This is Noise Redux. I want to thank you guys for a year of awesome podcasts. And my pick for the award would be, I'd like to know your portable game of the year. Thanks. So what do you guys think about uh, portable game of the year? I know I've got mine lined up. What you got, Adam? I to me it's kind of a no-brainer. I mean, I I really haven't played anything on uh, as as far as a 2011 PSP release. What I've mostly been playing have been DS and then 3DS games. And to me, it's really not a question that Super Mario 3D Land is portable game of the year. It has yeah some of the levels can be kind of short, but the fact that you have it's, I mean, it's it's like I, I mentioned in the last one with the with the uh, DSi 3DS transfer mode. It's just got that that Mario magic bind. It's like playing a 3D version of Mario 3, kind of. I mean, it's got that same kind of feel where it is it's it's a platforming game, but it's very it, it's almost two and a half D. I mean, you you have full 3D movement in in the entire time. But it's almost two and a half D because there are sections of the level that it intentionally changes the camera angle so you're moving in one direction primarily. And by doing that kind of a level design, they can do some different tricks in different areas, but still you don't you're not lost in what you're doing. Yeah, it really did make awesome use of the three D. Like every single level felt like a new kind of tech demo. And I really like that about the game. Yeah, there weren't, there really weren't um, a lot of levels where it felt like it's the same kind of thing over again. You're not doing, you know, they're like the ghost houses that you do some different things on. You know, in some of the levels, you're you're still riding. You know, in the, in the ghost houses, you're there are stages where you are riding on a platform, but there's different, you know, just the different paths that it takes you through. And the different kind of obstacles that you see, it's definitely a unique experience in every single level. And they brought back the Bowser battles where you have to do the stomp at the end and he falls into the uh, falls into the fire and lava. <laughs> <laughs> My only complaint about the game is that it did feel a little bit too easy. I was able to finish the game with well over 100 extra lives, so... Yeah, and... Uh, it was really easy to rack up extra lives, and and I actually was able to pull off the uh, the turtle stomping trick in one of the levels too. So um, <laughs> that it, it's uh it is easy to rack up you know lives, but being that we're probably more as far as the spectrum of Nintendo gamers at, at the higher level, they are you know I could see how many people would see that as being easy, even though. Um, you know, I definitely saw some spots where it was much tougher than others, or I, you know, because I'm either going too fast and I'm trying to rush myself, or just not paying attention or whatever. But it, you know, there's, it's definitely very easy to rack up lives if you are a uh, pretty well-established uh, gamer. 
well, by the time you get to some of the later levels, especially by the time you get to 8, and then uh, I don't want to give too much away, but there is a lot more content to that game than I initially thought there was. Yeah, yes. Without, a very pleasant surprise. Yeah, without wanting to give anything away, I was like, oh, nice, all right. I was a yeah. little concerned there. <laughs> <laughs> I would also give my nod to Super Mario Land 3D, uh, but since I don't want to just be boring and say, yeah, me too, uh, two others that I could easily nominate, uh, interestingly enough, are both ports. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, the PSP this year saw the release of Tactics Ogre, um, the basically an updated version of the original that was on PlayStation, the uh, PlayStation One, <laughs> and Final Fantasy IV: The Complete Collection. Now, Tactics Ogre has not had a re-release of this game since PlayStation, so that was a real nice addition, especially since it's a, it's a little bit tweaked and refined, and it's also one of my favorite strat RPGs of all time, one of the originals uh, for its era. And the reason why Final Fantasy IV: Complete Collection is significant. Besides the fact that they've released Final Fantasy IV for every platform, if your toaster has a TV screen, it's got a version of Final <laughs> Fantasy IV you can download to it. But this one is the first that captures the Wii where uh, the After Years release. And it even has like kind of like an intermission uh, story as well. So it's got all these little tidbits of extra story and the uh, all the extra stuff that, that I've been wanting to. I never actually got through the WiiWare downloads because I was hoping that they would come out on a format like this, and now that it's there, I've got the whole everything for Final Fantasy IV that I wanted, and I was just really happy they finally came out with a package uh-huh. that had that. So those two I could easily say, just because they're both uh, fantastic uh, portable experiences, granted both updates from older games, but they were two of my favorite older games, so works out perfect for me. I'm going to have to go with um, Professor Layton and The Last Spectre. And I... <laughs> I've always been a huge fan of the Layton series. Also been a fan of the Phoenix Wright series, but that game didn't. But that latest game in the Phoenix Wright series didn't get localized and probably won't ever. So mm. I had to. <laughs> so I had to stick with Layton alone this year. And well, I got what I expected from Professor Layton game. Only, you know, just better. There were a lot more puzzles and. The animation was better. The it was just an overall technically a better game. I still think I like the story in Unwound in Professor Layton and the Unwound Future better, but this one really is a much more well-made game. That's for sure. Good call. After after seeing uh, one of the tech demos for the 3DS and the the way that the gyro is going to use with the with the cameras and stuff, or I guess not, maybe not the cameras necessarily, but using the gyro and the 3D uh, elements, that was one thing that kind of came to mind for me was Professor Lighten because you could you know if if there was a puzzle where you had to find something, you could tilt the 3DS around to maybe see something you know find a hint coin behind something or you know find something that had to move to move along the story where it was behind something or around something or something like that um so i i really am yeah i'm i'm bought into the 3ds and i really hope that they manage to pull a game like that onto the system and they use the 3ds capabilities fully when that happens yeah i'm pretty sure that they would do something like that for the next Professor Layton game, that seems exactly like the kind of thing that they'd implement. 
So yeah, I, I'm really excited for that too. All right, we have a couple of entries that were put in as our blog post comments here, and actually, uh, Noise Redux and Shadow Kisaragi had the same. They had kind of the same idea, and they were uh, the best blog post of the year, and um, <laughs> that is a that is a very difficult call because there are so many blog posts over the course of a year. That's very difficult for me to say. I, I do have to say that my favorite, you know, the the most memorable blog series that I've had uh, has been from Shadow Kisaragi in the Game Center CX uh, Let's Watch <laughs> series. And <clears throat> I have, you know, I have very much enjoyed uh, watching all those episodes. And I can't wait for him to post another one so we can talk a little bit further about them. Do you guys have ones that kind of stood out in your mind? I can't think of anything just for this year in particular. Uh, I mean, without self-promoting, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had quite a few good ones. There were several by Crabmaster that I really did appreciate. Um, oh yeah, the the hundred and a hundred series, very much. Though that was really that's <clears throat> been really fun to keep up with, and I've also thoroughly enjoyed. Well, he had the chronicles for his. Uh, King of Fighters, which was kind of fun to keep up with. Mm-hmm. And the one that really seemed to st- stick with a lot of people, the one where he was talking about growing up gaming. Oh, yeah. That was just <coughs> really... It, it touched a lot of people on RF Gen, and there was a lot of that really positive August. feedback about mm-hmm. it. it. That just, was in August. That was... Okay, yeah, that one I August. thought was just... Jeez. <laughs> I, I was uh, that one really stuck with me, so I, I did want to make a, a real positive mention about that one. One blog post that I did really like, um, not because of the content of the post, just for, but just for what the post really means. Um, it was uh, several weeks back. Um, Noise Redux posted that he is he finally finally got a Sega Dreamcast and. <laughs> that that was a that was a really huge deal on Racket Boy because every, everyone who knows noise knows that for the longest time he's except for when except for like owning a Genesis and Sega CD he really never talked about Sega all that much he's started out he's been started out his blog with just Nintendo stuff and then moved on to the PlayStation. But everyone, everyone on Racket Boy was freaking out when he finally got a Dreamcast. Uh-huh. So I'm really happy for him. We just have one more. This is kind of a fun one that Zagnorch uh, brought up. And <clears throat> he, he thought this would be a pretty funny. The best addition to the RF Generation lexicon, <laughs> which... He's actually nominated uh, Isrit 101 for this one for coming up with the term uh, Leon Drunk, which is, uh, he is defined as a level of intoxication so great that only the maligned Leon himself could attain it without succumbing to alcohol poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's not a challenge, folks. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's not meant to stir any kind of competition. <laughs> <laughs> of course, uh... It says here that uh, in the in the post here it says that um, Isra thought thought that he could match it, but he paid dearly for his folly. 
And yes. <laughs> Leon, Leon himself said that he is, you know, given the seal of approval, saying he was heartily glad he could give birth to such a state of being. <laughs> 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 so, uh, kudos to you two, and uh, you know, it's it's just kind of one of those things where <clears throat> we always say that we want to involve the community. Well, here's here's one more way we can make that happen. Just Try and avoid getting Leon drunk if you can. I try my best. um, I forgot to get my um, award request in on time, so can I just make one request for an award? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, The holy crap, I cannot believe this actually is getting localized award. (laughs) Um, It wasn't released this year, but for Tales of Graces F, um, it was... I can go on and on about the unbelievable story about this game's localization, the huge fuss surrounding it, but I just want to say that it was a huge, huge deal when it finally got announced for localization. Like, it has been topic of controversy for I don't know, maybe one or two years now. It's It was just a really big thing. All right, well, I guess now it's time for our own Game of the Years. Do I have to narrow my list from 50 entries? Yes. Oh. Well, then I will uh, I'll let Mr. Chris start. <laughs> oh, no, not again. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, jeez. I didn't have any time to prepare. Um, okay, okay, I'll take it. I'll take okay. it easy. I'll, right. I, I really, you know, there's a lot of times that these award places and uh, different award shows and stuff. It seems like they pay mostly attention to uh, the stuff that was mostly a later release in the year, and I really think in this case it's very much justified. I, I honestly, of all the games that I've played, this one has stuck with me for the longest. I, I mean, I, I can't say enough about it, I, and I, I've already mentioned it. it. It's Super Mario 3D Land. It really is. It is a fantastic platforming game. It's a well-executed Mario game. It's got all the, you know, the the nice, you know, the it's it's just so much fun to play. It's just a blast. <laughs> the graphics are beautiful. The 3D is fantastic. It's not, you know, I say this every time we do a game shout out and I end up with a 3DS game. The 3D on it is not distracting. It is immersive. It is, and there's two 3D settings for it. There's a 3D setting for it to pop and there's a 3D setting for it to add depth. And so, depending on the level, you may want to add depth, or, you know, it, it really kind of depends on how you want to view the game. I left it on the pop because I thought it was, you know, it was very novel for that to happen. But my son had a blast watching me when I could turn, when I turned the 3D off and he would come sit with me and watch it. And, you know, it's, it's something that he could pick up and play, but it's also something that I can really enjoy and it really brings back a... Of a lot of the fun that I used to have playing games. I mean, I I still love playing games, but there's just something about this style and this the way that it was executed with this game that 
it is definitely my game of the year. Cool. <laughs> um, okay, I think I can go now. Um, I'm kind of still torn between two games, so I'm going to divide this up into game of the year for actual actual execution of the game and for the concept itself. So, you know, for I really do have to go with Super Mario 3D Land again. <laughs> I, I know, I know, but... Yeah, it just really is that good of a game, and <laughs> I haven't even gotten to the bonus levels yet, but it's just a textbook example of how to use the hard, how to use a hardware strengths and push it to the absolute limit of usefulness. It's just, it's just phenomenal. It's got great level design. The hmm, Graphics and colors in the game are very endearing. It's it's just phenomenal. Now, for concept, I have to say Game of the Year goes to Catherine. Just because, like I said, just for what it means for the game industry right now, when we're so plagued by the same first-person shooter being released time and time again, or this, literally the same sports game being released every single year, it is so refreshing to see something new and, and something completely different, something we've never, ever seen before, and, and have a hard time drawing analogies to it, be a relative success. That's just so refreshing and... That's why it would probably be one of my games of the year. And just to just to clarify things, when he says the same sports game being released year after year, he's obviously not talking about the NBA Live slash NBA Elite series. Walk <laughs> 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 walk. Although although two K two K eleven two K twelve, I. Not much of a sports game fan, but I have I was pretty impressed. And my 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 beloved being a basketball fan, it's you know that she she gets a kick out of them. The controls have gotten to the point where they're just really difficult to get a handhold on everything for somebody who's more of a casual gamer. But mm-hmm. uh, it, it, going back to what <laughs> we 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 didn't plan this, so it's it's so cool how this works out because uh, as um. As Chris had mentioned with Catherine, if I'm going to go with single-player game of the year, uh, I think that will probably be my single-player game of the year. I absolutely loved uh, Super Mario 3D Land, but the experience I had sitting down with my wife and going through Catherine together will likely always be one of those treasured gaming moments. And I've never had that experience uh, quite that same way and probably never will again. And we just had so much fun with it that it's probably going to be my most memorable single-player experience this year. If I had to go with a multiplayer experience, uh, call call me cliche, but I'd probably go with Battlefield 3. I had a lot of home, uh, lot of love for Homefront earlier this year. Um, I have to admit, Battlefield 3 does a lot better just overall in, in game design with the multiplayer, uh, especially with the teamwork and cooperation dynamics. That's what really sold me on it. Uh, that I don't have to be the guy running around, you know, getting all the headshots. I can just go around and do the support roles. So for mo- for multiplayer, I would probably say Battlefield 3 this year. So those are my two game of the year <laughs> for single and multiplayer. <laughs> and of course, if you guys have any other awards that you've now thought of, uh, feel free to leave them in the blog posts uh, or in the forums. Or like I said, uh, always, as always, you can give us a call too. So um, now if you want to go ahead and lead into that. <laughs> 
Well, that more or less wraps up our unofficial gaming awards of the year. We're going to roll into our gaming shout-outs, things we've been playing lately that we just wanted to recommend. What have you been playing recently, Chris? Um, I've been playing. I've been trying to see if I could beat Grandia 2 over Christmas break, actually. I'm almost done with it. So, yeah, I've been having a lot of fun with that. It's It takes a while to get into the game, but once you do, it really does click. It's a whole lot of fun, and... Mm, Dreamcast should be proud to have such a good RPG. My wife really enjoyed going through that one on Dreamcast. She, yeah, that was a great one. I've got a bunch, so uh, go for it. Anyone else go, for, to... go for it. Alrighty, uh, I mentioned it earlier. Uh, Nano Assault has stayed in my 3DS. I've I've just really enjoyed that one a lot, uh, as well as of course Super Mario 3D Land. Bomberman Live on the Xbox 360 has an excellent eight-player mode, and if you have two copies of the the physical disc that it came out on for a like it was like a it came with uh, three different Xbox Live games and Xbox uh, I'm sorry uh, Bomberman Live was one of them. If you get two of those discs and you have two systems, you can set up a LAN where you can have an eight-player Bomberman game going. Nice. And that's what we've been doing. And, and the sad part is I've got the whole setup for the Saturn 10-player Bomberman, <laughs> but yet some, somehow we gravi- somehow we gravitated back to the, the, the one on Xbox Live, <laughs> and uh, we've been playing that up. My, my five-year-old son is learning the rules to Bomberman, and I tried to keep it simple for him, and he keeps on saying, no, Dad, put this power up on, put this one on. And I'm like, oh, Man, I'm creating a, I'm creating a monster with, with this. But, so um, we, we've been having a blast with that, and uh, of course, horde mode on Gears Three, one of my favorite cooperative survival uh, game types. Had a lot of fun with that. Battlefield Three, as I mentioned earlier, we broke out Tetris Worlds on the 360 for the four-player Tetris mode. Uh, we've been there's been a ton of stuff we've been playing because you know we get a lot of holiday traffic and family and friends coming through. Uh, Tetris, competitive Tetris had a lot of fun. Uh-huh. Radiant Silver Gun has been my latest. Just sit back on the recliner and grind at my levels. Uh, the 360 arcade release uh, has the story mode and the live, I'm sorry, and the arcade mode, and you can just kind of grind up your weapon levels on the story mode, so I've been kind of kicking back and doing that. And finally, Guardian Heroes also the recent live arcade release. I've gone through that game several times now with different friends, and it's still just as much fun as it was when it came back out on Saturn. Just an, an all-time classic. Well, I've actually had some time to sit down and play some games, too. I've been playing, like I said, Mario 3D Land just a ton. Um, but aside from that, I have... Uh, <clears throat> just recently, I've been getting into the Steam Winter Sale event, and they have... Um, you know, with with the Steam platform, you get achievements for some games. Um, you know, just like on Live Arcade and uh, you know on the Xbox and the PS3 and everything, they have their own achievement sets. Well, as part of these, they have uh, different uh, kind of achievements for each day that they can basically add into the game. And so you have different things that you can do on Steam or in these various games that will win you 
part of it you can win coal that you can trade in and you possibly get a prize out and some of them you just win a prize right out right off the bat so you can you know i've so far i've gotten a couple pieces of coal and a couple of uh coupons for different things for like half off a game or you know 25 percent off any valve title you know just kind of things like that so it's kind of a, a a lot of the games that i have are from the the indie bundles and so they have a couple of of those that are in there that I'm now finally getting into playing and trying to get these achievements to try and get them. And I'm really experiencing a lot of fun games as as a part of it. Um, <clears throat> so I've been working on that. I've also been playing uh, that I have you know now gotten from Christmas and from Secret Santa stuff as the uh, uh, Super Scribble Knots, which is my first entry, uh, first go at the Scribble Knots series, and that is quite a bit of fun there's a lot of things you can do with the game that you normally wouldn't be able to do where you are or that i I guess there are very many ways to solve the different puzzles depending on what you put in that may not be expected necessarily but you can go back and complete the levels with a different set of objects that you put into the world um so there's some definite replay value there my wife did get me a PSP Go for Christmas, um, which I almost picked one up when they were on sale at uh, GameStop for 80 bucks for a used one. But this one, she got me a, uh, a complete-in-box used one, and it immediately got hacked and threw an SNES emulator <laughs> on it. So I have you know, started ActRaiser and, uh, and Earthbound on that now, too, so... I, I have to play it. It's just one of those things where I've got to start playing Earthbound now that I've got it started on a, uh, a PSP again. So I've been playing that. But one of the um, the other game that I got from the Secret Santa stuff from Shadow Kisaragi was Retro Game Challenge. Mm-hmm. Now, if you don't know what Retro Game Challenge is, it is based on the Game Center CX series that I have been hooked on. And if you haven't watched them, please go watch them. Go check out <laughs> Shadow's posts. Just start watching them. They are hilarious. They're, they're just so good. The first, I mean, the first season where it's just the challenge and they're 10, 15, 20 minutes long, those are fun in and of themselves. But when you get to the hour-long ones where he is visiting the cities and stuff, they're just a lot of fun to play. So this one, Namco approached him to make the game. They have his head, his 3D polygon head in there as the the game master that he is now. <laughs> you basically, it's you that they've sucked back in time to when Arena-san is a child and you're playing these games on his original Famicom, and he's giving you these challenges of all these. They're they're all just made up 8-bit style games. You start off with like a Galaga type of game and you move on to a you know <clears throat> just kind of a puzzle game, puzzle action game. And it's just a lot of fun because there's different – each um, game has several different achievement – essentially achievements that you have to – you know, different levels of progression in the game that you have to meet to move on to the next stage. And then you unlock different games. You unlock game magazines where you have to re- – you read the magazine and it tells you different hints and tips about the game. And – there's the manuals that they have in the game. It's it's just kind of a blast because you're going through this kid's game room back in the 80s, and it's just it's so much fun. 
<laughs> it really is. I I really really am enjoying that one. It is a blast. I have that game reserved and got it as soon as it came out, and I was such a big fan of that. I, I really did enjoy. Actually, both both Super Scribble Nuts. Super Scribble Nuts got a lot of playtime passed around uh, between me and my wife and and some of our friends just to figure. It's so much fun to have a bunch of people sit around and try to figure out a puzzle together because everyone will throw out a different idea yeah. and half of them will work and it's it, it it's great to oh uh, man yeah well, both of those I can also highly recommend had a lot of fun with them. Since it's kind of a special episode, we actually have a pair of top fives for this one so. The first one we're going to start off with is the top five reasons that the GameCube is the best console ever. Number five. The built-in handle makes the system an excellent bludgeoning tool when your little sibling accidentally erases your Smash Brothers melee save. <laughs> Number four. Wii backwards compatibility guarantees your copy of Charlie's Angels the video game has been playable for the last eight years. Number three. Link's cameo in Soul Calibur 2 is infinitely cooler than some spawn dude in that old Tekken chump that fights in his underwear. <laughs> Number two. Animal Crossing was what got your mom into gaming years before Farmville was making more money than Call of Duty. And the number one reason that the GameCube is the best console ever? The GameCube exclusive Tube Slider is perhaps the greatest name for a video game since the Atari 2600's The Earth Dies Screaming. <laughs> I'll champion that. And for our final top five of the year, we have the top five things we didn't find ourselves saying in 2011. Number five. I am so glad Sony is committed to the UMD format. <laughs> Number four. Man, where are all the November releases? Number uh, three. I know, I was so broke that month. So broke November. Number three. Broke Vember. That's the video game celebration at the end of the year. That's right. Number three. <laughs> Number three. Boy, I sure love all these new motion controls. <laughs> Number two. Hey, since when did a portable need another analog stick? And the number one thing we did not find ourselves saying in 2011... Adam, help! Our podcast phone never stops ringing! (laughs) (laughs) And that's another year of the RF Generation Nation podcast. We hope you've enjoyed. Please feel free to give us your thoughts, uh, other award suggestions, and really anything else you have to say at rfgeneration.com, where you can uh, look us up in the forums. Uh, drop us a few lines. Be sure to uh, to visit the podcast forums just to to let us know you know how we're doing and what else you'd like for the show. You can also check out other blogs like Chris's, who has possibly the greatest blog uh, title that I've heard, which is <laughs> Is it about my cube? <clears throat> so definitely check that out as well as any of the others. Along with commenting in the blog posts and on the forums, you can send us an email at podcast at rfgeneration.com or please please call us. Our phone number is area code 318-RFG-TIP5. That's 318-734-8475. Just want to mention this one more time. We still don't have a a winner from our last podcast, from our anniversary show. So I'm not sure if people Mm. just forgot about it. So, you know, I'll put that out there again. So just uh, be sure to send those entries into us, and uh, I'll be happy to send you the games. Okay, I guess it's time for the sign-off then. This is Lisa Level 1, and knowing is half the battle.
Special Mission Force. Its purpose, to defend human freedom against Cobra, a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the he world. He never gives up. He'll stay till the fight's won. G.I. Joe will dare. G.I. Joe will dare. 